After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. All us little human beings, we grip onto, you know, this small self um, identity that uh, gives us a sense of security, but all that will be let go of as we meet death. And certainly if we let go into authentic love. Hey everyone, it's Raghu back with Mind Rolling and back with a very special, special being, Roshi Joan Halifax. Roshi, we were just saying, it's been a long time, but nice to see you. It's so good to see you. Mm. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm missing Baba mm. and uh, m- missing the community, but anyway, feeling close to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, the community is really going through a lot. Those those of us that are in Maui, and uh, yeah, that is uh, a tragedy that uh, is almost behind beyond compre- comprehension. It's really yeah. something. Yeah. So everybody uh, you, out there, first of all, because we have lots of new listeners, Roshi. Roshi is a long, long time close friend of Ramdas and knew him in his Richard days, I believe, right? That is the case. Yeah, that's before my time. <laughs> and uh You're and, a young guy. <laughs> catching up, catching up. Um but uh Roshi was very close to Ramdas over all these decades, really. And they did so much, so many different things, so much work together. And I had the delight in the, in the times that Ramdas was in Maui, Roshi would come over and visit Ramdas. And some of those times I was there and we managed to actually really get to know each other a lot better, hanging out in Ramdas's house, where you used to say, I came for my heart transplant every year right. in January. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, boy. so true, so true. And then you know, uh, we had we had such a an amusing relationship. I think it was you know filled with affection and mischief. And I, uh, you know, I say this every time you and I do this interview thing, uh, Raghu. I just say you know I always propose. So you know, if we really should get married, Arjun. <laughs> <laughs> like this. And yeah. you know, in our last visit, he proposed to me, and oh, I went, really? <laughs> 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 "No, no, please spare me." <laughs> mm. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I tell you, what a what a doll, what a treasure, what a magic person, and I just you know we miss him. Then, yeah. kind of like Ty says, a cloud never dies. Thich Nhat Hanh says, you know, a cloud never dies. He he lives with all of us, you know, in a, a way that is remarkable. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But some of the fun, though, let's recount some of that fun. For me, it was when he would be sitting up there with you, and maybe I was there, maybe not. But the there was always that moment of him saying something in reference to soul or soul land. Right. And then he'd kind of peek over at you and <laughs> like, I'm so sorry I've said that blasphemous comment. I know. And everybody know. would laugh. Yeah. I know. We, we, you know, I mean, decades we had this conversation about soul, and I would be just, oh my Buddha, <laughs> this thing of you know, this separate entity that sort of floats out and you know goes to heaven kind of thing. But you know, um, in one of my books, I gave a different interpretation of soul, and you know, it really has to do with uh, this the depth of character. You know, this this kind of. You know, when I used to hear Bessie Jones singing, boy, she had soul. And that's the kind of soul that, you know, I could relate to. I could never relate to it's the entity. The Menchie of... kind of part, one yeah. would say. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But isn't it true that, and this, uh, you know, we've gone through this as well. Isn't it true that there's just a lot of different nomenclature, right? Yeah. Ways for people to feel comfortable, but yeah. how to, you know, talk about the ineffable and that's so to me, Buddha mind, soul, I, you know, I don't see the difference ultimately, except for the fact, of course, but the, the way in which one can get firmly ensconced in a something yeah. that is, uh, in this case, we're talking about uh, reincarnation is going to go through intact with the eye that, that we have. It's, it's probably a problem. There may be a problem. I, you know, I'm not a specialist in reincarnation. You know, talk with Bob Thurman. I love Bob. Yeah, yeah Bob. He'll give you the full download. Yeah. But, you know, I, he would go from role to soul, and I, I, I totally can relate, you know, of this, the, the role. I just got off a call with two of our chaplaincy cohorts, you know, 60 fantastic people, literally from all over the world, and some of them very academically trained where the the sort of academic role is a kind of defense system, you know, where you have some kind of social merit for being such a smart person, mm. not necessarily a wise one. But I often think of the, the two words that are the, uh, you know, toward the end of our long path together when we were teaching. And uh, he would share these uh, two words, and they were loving awareness. Yeah. So he said, you know, he was the loving part. I'm the awareness part. But I, <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, I think he was both for sure. Yeah. And um, uh, what he did by bringing those those two terms together was really, for me, uh, you know, what unifies all the traditions. Um, you know, we don't have these spiritual traditions um, to be have mean awareness you know <laughs> right sorry no thank you um and that 
I just think about what His Holiness the Dalai Lama, yeah. you know, would say. He said, you know, my religion is kindness. And kindness has many different expressions, and Artie manifested so many of those valences. You know, he was a genuinely kind and giving person. He was also, you know, he was a contemplative, but he was also, I mean, I, I think he was an extrovert, and I'm an introvert. <laughs> you know, I mm. mean, how he could sit there and hug 300 people, yeah. you'd have to hospitalize me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could not bring that one off in a gazillion years. Right. And he would just sit there, you know, and take it on. And, you know, you know me, I'd be slipping out the back door like, oh, <laughs> no. But um, he was just, had, he, he just was uh, fundamental generosity. He was the king of Donna. <laughs> yeah, fundamental generosity. And uh, uh, you know Duncan Trussell and uh, oh, yeah. Duncan and I have been working on a on a audio book actually from the the movie of me to the movie of we. Basically, Krishnas's coined expression: "You wake up in the morning and it's you're the producer, director, lead, supporting cast, and you're the critic too." Yeah, <laughs> you do the whole thing twenty four seven. You know, and how do we get there and how do we get out is is part of what this thing. So the thing. Uh, the book ends, I took a little piece of Ramdas. You reminded me because of generosity. And in it, it, it was all generosity and compassion are the basically the way to transform from that me to the we. And he was so exemplified. He exemplified that. Yeah, I he mean, did. He really did. Really. Well, from the get-go where Neem Karoli Baba said to him, don't talk about me when you go back to the West. Okay. <laughs> That's all he did. So the summer I was with him the summer before he left in 2019. Lordy, Miss Lottie. Yeah. He I said, "Why? He told you not to do it. He's the guru. Why didn't you do it? Why did you go on and on about him in every talk you gave for you?" <laughs> and he said, "I you know, I I got given a jewel. I couldn't not speak to people. I could not share that jewel." Is exactly <laughs> what he said. And and that that is kind of the core of everything that we to this day since he left are doing the best we can to represent that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we miss him. Although every day I'm because of the work I'm doing, he's right there. I'll pass this stuff. What do you think about? Uh, you know, <laughs> maybe I've got a little bit of self interest going on here. You know, we I used to speak to him directly that way. Day to day, you know, I'd be it's like having a therapist right there in terms of doing the right thing. <laughs> oh, God. So. Raghu, do you remember that? I think it's the last time. I don't know if it, was the last, it wasn't the last time I saw him, but it was the last time we taught together. Where he, um, you know, was in the hospital and Frank and I showed up. Uh, the oh, day yeah. before, and he was in the ICU. <laughs> then he got discharged to you know his regular little room, and then uh, he came home and so on. And and he had terrible edema. I was like, oh my god! And Frank and I had this whole plan of, you know, okay, we'll go ahead with the program without him, and got the whole plan worked out. And then Friday evening, he just there pops he up like a prairie dog, pokes his head out <laughs> of the hole of his sickness. And uh, says, let's go. And I'm all going, oh, Buddha, my Lord. And we went. 
And I'll okay. never forget, you know, it was raining cats and dogs. The, the church was completely packed out. And, uh, you know, we, we went in and, you know, his team of Bodhisattva helpers lifted the wheelchair and that big swollen body onto the uh, stage. And, um, it was like a two hour darshan without any words. Wow. It is so I, incredible. I think we have a, a video of it. Yeah. I don't That's think we've just, ever shared it. I was it. like, wow. How? And Frank and I world. are kind of talkers. We were just like, we were in the mood, not to talk, <laughs> but to be. Yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah, and that's he had, That's what he offered so much yeah. after his stroke, especially in Maui. That yeah, being in that in the spaciousness of of his silence, you know, was really yeah. Quite, well, this is a little bit of an ode to Ramdas because Roshi and I haven't really gotten together. It's been been a while, so uh, it's it was due. It was due. It was due. It due. Yeah. Um, well, oh. I'm up here at the refuge, you know. Um, oh, you are? Yeah, not, well, you know, it's technically not in a, you know, very, uh, 9,400 feet surrounded by 3 million acres of national forest. It really suits me here in my, <laughs> you know, sort of hermit-like nature. Wow. <laughs> There's nobody near. And, uh, you know, I'm with the uh, Aspens and the great uh, evergreens of northern New Mexico and practicing and feeling, yeah. you know, the great blessing of this place. But because we have Starlink, thank you, Elon Musk, okay. Yeah, yeah, I noticed because uh, you would never do this with me before because you couldn't get reception. In, in you the, couldn't or, get, yeah. you know, such, such lousy internet. Um, uh, I, I am so with Maui at this time. I, yeah. I tell you, yeah. Raghu, I, it's just... Uh, some of our friends, uh, I you know, I just heard that, that they're okay, they survived. Oh, but, really? you know, who knows how many are lost in the, the, the history being just burned to ashes. Yeah. And, of course, uh, the, the great banyan tree mm. in Lahaina um, yeah. probably survived. And, oh, you, and, uh, really? Because it seems, I've all, what I've read is sort of questionable, I'm not Maybe it, one hopes. Yeah. Okay. Go that on. the roots are so deep, uh, and yeah. the fire didn't penetrate. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it is a time of mourning, and it is a time when uh, the we're in a climate catastrophe. And I just finished a series with Christiana Figueres, who was the architect of the Paris Climate Accord, oh. and a great climate diplomat. And uh, Rebecca Solnit, um, right. you know, who is the writer and uh, social critic, and she's on top of everything, brilliant. So the three of us did a 10-part series on, uh, uh, you know, meeting the climate future. It was very uh, intense and interesting, in the middle of which then this fire comes uh. roaring into this uh, sacred place that yeah. has been kind of secularized in a certain way. Um, and commodified, you know, in the past decades um, and just wiped everything out, the history and uh, all of the, the art. It's just like, and it's, it's a sign of the times. And, of course, it's not the only place that's under siege. And, you know, there's so many. Yeah. But um, it is, you know, such a wake-up call yeah, in, in this era. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not to be doomeristic because we we don't know the outcome, but we can change the course of this, not entirely because the momentum of problems, the tipping points have been crossed, but um, we we can change this for future generations. Yeah. yeah. And I, I often say, Raghu, <clears throat> I, I feel like I was born for this time. Mm. Oh, yes. I've heard you say you that. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, f- I think we need to fix ourselves. We We really do, all of us, need to fix that thing in us, I mean, that is <laughs> part of the problem. Uh, unconsciously part of the yeah. problem in terms of the smallest kinds of things and the way we live. And um, and we live in a feeling like we're separate. I mean, it's yeah. just extraordinary. Um, is this just, illusion of a separate self that is just yeah. completely um, nuts? Yeah. No, you know, no. you, you realize you're not separate from the very air that we are breathing. We're not separate from the trees that are producing oxygen. We're not separate from any being or thing. And, you know, I think we're getting the picture, but in a weird sort of way. I think the pandemic was this enormous wake-up call in terms of cause and effect, uh, you know, karmic conditions, and the globalization of a virus where, you know, millions of people lost their lives, and where the politics associated with uh, those countries who were in charge of, you know, vaccines and so on, just making it uh, a a real case in point that we have to share. We have to practice, Donna. We have to practice fundamental generosity. We we can't hoard and think that we'll just survive by, um, you know, being in the top 1% or 10%. Yeah, whether it's vaccines or money or what. Yeah, of course, I'm an anti-capitalist. Yeah, right. But still, that's that's all being written, living technicolor now. Yeah, people can no longer think that they we're okay in this separate place here or there, and and there's not going to be an effect on us. All of that kind of thinking, I think, is is the beginning of its diminish. It's diminishing. And I think it's, I think I, I look forward to the the next generation, you know, the 20 year olds that are really caring and acting around, uh, uh, of course, you know, the ecological disaster that we're in. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, oh, wait a minute. We have to do a commercial from our sponsor, which today is Roshi Joan Halifax. Oh, Look at this fantastic oh, thing. Oh, I can't believe, I, and I love your the brush painting that, that's in here. It's just phenomenal. It's a contem- contemplative card deck. And uh, you can open it up and just pick any card. And that can be your intention and contemplation for the day. Oh, here's the one I picked. All right. Connecting with the earth. How about that? <laughs> Sitting comfortably. So they're they're really cool, very short meditation. Sitting comfortably. Let your attention rest lightly on your breath and your body. Now sense into your connection with the earth. Invite the stability of the earth into your body, your heart, and your mind. Experience the strength of your connection with the earth. I did not plan that. I swear I just picked that out. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so this is a wonderful deck, everybody, and it's available. We'll have it in the show notes. Oh, show it again. Okay. It makes me happy to see it. Isn't it? It's And it's beautifully done by Shambhala, uh, the publisher. It's really, really wonderful. You know, Raghu, when um, the, I moved up here to the refuge during the pandemic because yeah. we were in complete lockdown at Upaya, and um, I just picked up the calligraphy brush and I did literally thousands of calligraphies. And uh, it was, you know, a practice for me. Mm. And also because of, you know, being able to be online, I interacted with people from all over the world who were really, you know, they were in isolation too. And I realized that um, it was important for many people to have access to these micro meditations. It's like micro dosing yeah. practice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, over the f a few years, I would just write out these short meditations mm. and then Shambhala produced them. It's a wonderful uh, uh, object, actually, they they produced with, um, uh, I mean, it's so beautifully done. I'm kind of yeah. like, wow, that was really nice. Yeah, yeah no, really beautiful. In fact, we, uh, I think we'll try and get, yeah, we'll, we'll get to order some from Shambhala and put them in Ram Dass's store because. I am be great. I'd love yeah. you to do that. Yeah, we yeah. Will. I mean, actually, it's gone really well. People yeah. love um, love this practice. You know, they they're using them in all kinds of different ways, including you know, in hospitals where you know mm. nurses will actually pull a card and then lead you know in a team meeting a micro meditation. Really? Yeah, oh, that's so cool. And I'll be doing that in Japan in September with people. So I just, oh really. Yeah, it's really, really. Did you ever record them? No, I hate to get into it, like. You know, I didn't, and uh, I actually thought about doing doing it, but I've been, you know, with the chaplaincy training yeah. and everything else going on, I haven't had time to uh, to do it. Mm. Maybe I'll do it. Yeah, we'll help you in any way, whatever you <laughs> want. You know, we have a we have an app now. The Ramdas Be Here Now app has a microdose little snippets of Ramdas either saying something, a video of him or a text and uh microdose with Ramdas it's called. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this would fit in so perfectly. <laughs> oh boy. So just in talking about all, you know, the kind of suffering that is going on particularly yeah. in Maui and everybody this whenever this podcast comes out or if you listen to it at a later time this is right in the middle of it. I mean, it's yeah. it's a week old at this a week and a day or two. Uh, what's going on there. And uh, so, you know, I look back actually, Roshi, into uh, a book of yours that I I really love, Being With Dying, that book. Yeah. And um, just let me read something. You can, like, comment on it. As someone who works with dying people, I used to feel a little apologetic about being Buddhist, concerned that my practice might seem sectarian and inappropriate. But over the years, I've seen how much the teachings of the Buddha have helped the living and the dying of every faith, and my reservations have dissolved. It's crucial that we Westerners discover a vision of death that valorizes life. The encounter between East and West has unwrapped the gifts of love and death and now we can see that they are two sides of the coin of life. Talk about love and death and being the two sides of the coin yeah. of life because the, the, uh, it creates a fearful atmosphere even to hear that. Yeah. You know? 
Well, there's a, a quote that's attributed to Rilke. I, I don't know uh, if it, in fact, is uh, Rilke's words, but I heard it many, many years ago, and then uh, I've shared it many, many times. Now it's attributed to Rilke, but I haven't found the source. Maybe someone can. And the quote goes, love and death are the great gifts that are given to us. Mostly they are passed on unopened. Mm, I absolutely, I just saw it and it, and it said Rilke. Okay. From <laughs> where I, wherever I got it from. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm afraid I, I, I might be responsible for that misattribution, but nonetheless, <laughs> um, uh, it's one of those uh, things that has been, you know, I think it was RD's path. It's certainly my beloved Frank Ostaseski with whom I teach so often yeah. myself, the relationship between love and death. And it really is about surrender. It's completely about letting go into the vastness. It's about being fundamentally un, you know, uncontrived, not separate in this experience of boundlessness. And um, we grip, you know, in the West, but, you know, all... all all us little human beings, we grip onto, you know, this small self um, identity that uh, gives us a sense of security, but all that will be let go of as we meet death. And certainly if we let go into authentic love. And I, I just, um, this book was written really um, uh, inspired by those words, whoever, you know, uttered them great blessing. Um, uh, but it also is about a path, you know, a path where love and death, as I said, are two sides of the same coin of life. And, you know, uh, Plato wrote that the bedrock of the spiritual life, he didn't say it was love, he said it was the contemplation of our mortality, mm, mm. which is, I think, I think, you know, when we come to uh, the realization of fundamental impermanence, which is exactly what the Stoics and what uh, the Buddha taught, the truth of impermanence, of uncertainty, of uh, the changeability of everything unpredictable. You know, we're, we think that, you know, we're, the brain is this predictive organ where, you know, chat GBT, you know, in these large language models, we're back into this sort of predictive mode. And life ain't like that. Reality is not like that. Mm. And I think we're in a completely uh, phenomenal era um, where, for example, the discussions around uh, AI are challenging our view of uh, what is true. Mm. And, you know, yeah. you can con build this kind of uh, constructed pseudo-reality, what's called, you know, the AI process. Uh, someone used the term stochastic parroting. Uh, parroting, uh, but also parody. That's another yeah, right. way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And um, you realize uh, that actually um, our, our very perceptions are constructed, just as AI is constructed out of our our views and our values and our misapprehensions. So you know it's garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, so yeah. Wisdom in, hopefully. Sometimes wisdom out. Who knows? Yeah. And uh, you know. One of the things that 
uh, Bernie Glassman, who uh, R.D. loved, and Bernie yeah. sure loved R.D. Yeah. He really, uh, um, Bernie, who was a really smart guy, um, he valued not knowing. You know, he really, I love that. I always love that. Like, whenever he oh, listens no. You know, our social merit is based on how much we know. Yeah. Hey, excuse me. Actually, um, all of that knowingness separates us and each other from who we really are. Mm. So, you know, this practice of not knowing and in the koan, it says not knowing. Well, the whole thing is unison. Of the three bodies of the Buddha, monk asked this great Zen master, which one does not fall into categories? And uh, uh, the master said, well, I'm always intimate with it. You know, it's a direct uh, connection with just this moment, the present moment, as it is. Yeah. Be here now. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. So something else, you know, in relation to what we we're just discussing now, love and death and, and related to the suffering, which is endemic everywhere, but particularly, of course, what happened. And, and everybody out there, we have been doing retreats with Ramdas till he left four years ago in Same. December in about f maybe a 10 to 15 minute drive from Lahaina where yeah. this wildfire just burned the town down further west, I believe. And uh, it did not get affected, but we are so, I mean, I don't even, I don't have to be in Maui to get that yeah. visceral vibration you know, from what's happening there. So anyhow, so just so you know, in terms of timeline, we're kind of in it, you know, at this point. Um, but here's something else that uh, you talked about in the book. All too often, our so-called strength comes from fear, not love. Instead of having a strong back, many of us have a defended front, shielding a weak spine. In other words, we walk around brittle and defensive trying to conceal our lack of confidence. If we strengthen our backs, metaphorically speaking, and develop a spine that's flexible but sturdy, then we can risk having a front that's soft and open, representing choiceless compassion. The place in your body where these two meet, strong back and soft front, is the brave, tender ground in which to root are caring deeply when we begin the process of being with dying. And I, uh, I would, the other thing I, I just want to, I always mention this because there's practice involved here. I mean, you talk in the book a, a lot, and I want you to talk more about mindfulness and, and the importance of it and not the ubiquitous term that allows stockbrokers to, you know, make better trades, um, which, happens as well but um but just uh the reality that you don't wait until you're you know in your 70s or something to start doing the practice of of connecting with that love and death right you can talk about that oh yeah that is uh that is so important ragu you know in, in sitting with dying people uh, for so many years and having people say, you know, give me the mindfulness pills so I yeah. can have a conscious dying and death. 
It's like, no, 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 it doesn't exactly work that way, usually. You know, it's it's a lifetime endeavor. And uh, yet there are there are people who have not done one jot of practice who just have it. They're, they're, they they just, just go right in it. They just, they're right in it. And there are people who've just, you know, been grinding away at the Dharma and, and just lose it. So, you know, it's not the magic formula, but at, at, by any means. Um, but I, I know uh, just by our good friend, Wes Nisker, yeah, um, yeah. who just it's recently left. died. And um, his uh, ex-wife is in our community and saw him just a few days before he slipped away. Yeah. And, you know, his whole life in a certain way was practice. Yeah. And it showed up even he as he lost his, you know, normal cognitive capacity, yeah. but moved into another kind of state of being. And that being was, you know, surrender and and also joy. Yeah. So, you know, it, it really uh, comes in, you know, in knowing Wes to the extent that I did, not in any way close to, you know, my relationship with Ramdas, but <clears throat> You know, how, you know, he was a dedicated practitioner and he had this sort of metacognitive perspective that allowed him to, you know, brilliantly cause us to just laugh hysterically in a liberating way at the absurdity of our human uh, stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he had was, that gift. Yeah. We're sure. Yeah, the do not take yourself too seriously was exactly uh, was what we got from Wes. Yeah, yeah. Nisker, I knew him, you know, way back on the radio because he was on the radio in the late sixties, early seventies, yeah. where I was as well. Um, yeah, but uh, cutting through, can you talk a little bit about? I mean, because mindfulness practice is not just about. You know, it is very much about preparation because any moment, anything can happen to anyone as is just proven in, in Maui, especially with what's going on in, in our on our earth. Uh, but mindfulness on a day-to-day basis, I mean, just being, um, having the kind of awareness of one's motivations and self-interest, isn't that a big part of, of the efficacy here that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I love Johnny. And Johnny took, um, you know, really from the Anapanasati Sutta, these practices that allow one to come into be here now. The, John the Kabat-Zinn, right? Yeah, John yeah. Kabat-Zinn. And I think that uh, the benefit that has been derived from uh, the secularization of uh, this, you know, classical practice um, is really great. Also, there, you know, there have been, you know, issues like there are issues with everything, including, you know, the devotional practices that uh, R.D. was so much a part of. Every stick is to it. <laughs> but, um, you know, being, for me, being mindful, it really has to do with, you know, giving, you get back to giving, Donna, Giving your attention to uh, whatever is present in any given moment, be it beautiful or terrible or boring, you know, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, whatever it is. But uh, uh, Bernie talked about it in terms of bearing witness, not, you know, not separating ourselves 
and also being non-judgmental. And so, you know, yes, mindfulness has been co-opted and kind of applied in ways that I, you know, it's like, oh dear, well, that certainly is interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But I'm not going to get into that so much. Um, uh, There are many Dharma doors and even the ones that are more uh, extractive and um, co-opting, commodifying, you know, people who engage in these practices uh, for the wrong motivation um, have the, there is potential for great benefit and also harm, but also benefit. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested in how we uh, bring this further into the world, particularly emphasizing uh, the dimension of integrity and ethics. Um, This is, you know, about, Building character and rehumanization and uh, opening up the the what RD was so clear about the the path of love. Mm, yeah. Another element. Well, there's there's a story, and I I may have heard about this story, but I I don't remember. And you tell it in in uh, <laughs> in, in great detail. Uh, it's at the time of the Buddha, and there was a monk named Tissa. Do you remember this? Yeah, story? Now you, you wrote this story. book a long time ago, so I, yeah. I don't expect you. To, no, but, I remember the story. Yeah, can you tell yeah, the story? You, you no, know, you tell it. <laughs> Just he fell sick, and his body broke out in terrible postules. Postules. The they gradually became bigger and bigger, and finally burst. But he did not heal. Instead, open sores covered his entire body. And the stench from the infection filled his tiny room. And I don't think there's anyone out there that hasn't, I mean, if you've had, uh, you know, elderly parents or grandparents or something, you know, eventually something happens. It could be as simple as, you know, a person needs to wear a diaper. And there is uh, a smell that is, uh, you know, our natural inclination is to go like that you know, inside ourselves, if not outside. Anyhow, Buddha, he visited the monastery, he heard about Tissa, and and he heard he'd been abandoned by fellow monks who were repulsed by the sight and smell of his sick body. And when Buddha came to his Tissa's hut, he opened the door and saw him lying in filth, his stinking robe sticking to the oozing sores. The Buddha turned to his cousin Ananda, his a principal attendant said, please boil some water over fire and prepare an herbal bath. So the Buddha gently washed these sores on his body um, while, while Ananda washed his clothes. And they put him in a clean bed and uh, Buddha lifted him, put him down and held his head, head and gave him fresh water to drink. And Tissa opened his eyes to the Buddha and said, if you had not helped me, I would have died. The sick monk said. The Buddha then spent some time with him, teaching him. Shortly after his careful tending, Tissa yeah. died free in mind and body. But the the exemplive story of of the kind of caring yeah. one human being to another. I mean, yes, he was the Buddha, but this is our higher self, not? Yes. Yeah, it's such a powerful story. You know, it's about coming alongside. It's about selflessness. And it's also, you know, he 
in a way, he was saying to his monks, um, look, you have neglected um, this being, your brother monk, and because you've not been able to face the truth of um, old age, sickness, and death. Uh, and that uh, when you take care of Tisa, you take care of me. And I, I think it's a, you know, really uh, such a powerful uh, example of what it means to care. And, you know, you don't think of the Buddha being a caregiver, you know, in this sense. But, yeah. um, of course, uh, yeah. I had to include it in the book because it's such a, a, a vivid story of selflessness and of love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you know, I think I don't have the right term, and maybe you do. His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, recently was talking about he, what I remember, selfish, I don't think it's compassion, but Yeah, self he, it, it's selfish compass, compassion. It is. And I remember I, I did this series of meditations uh, for uh, Dan Harris' uh, um, yes, right. That's program with Ram Dass, uh, not, sorry, with, with uh, Dalai Lama. Richie Davidson and myself, and um, I, Dan was interviewing me, and he said, "Well, now, what do you think of selfish, selfish compassion?" And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> wow, um, um, that's a term that's a little hard for me to deal with, but I can kind of dig it." In other words, really. You know, compassion benefits those who receive it. It inspires those who witness it. It inspires them to be compassionate, so it's kind of viral. But also, there's so much evidence that compassion benefits those who actualize it. And I've done, you know, a lot of writing on this, including in my last book, uh, Standing at the Edge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where, it. you know, I, I open this whole sort of treasure house of compassion so you know, I could I could understand the term, but it could be you know also misapplied. <laughs> and I was like, oh well, that's kind of interesting. But I can dig it, you know that, and it makes sense, and it's kind of you know kind of gets your attention, and uh, it's very Dalai Lama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I loved it because uh, I mean, taken in a much more simple uh, sense, shall we say, you're walking across the street. And you get to the other side, but before you get there, somebody starts to walk, maybe an elderly person, and they fall. Yeah. Or they drop some groceries. So your instant, I would say for response. most of us, instant response is to go help them. And as soon as you do that, you are not thinking about yourself. Yeah. In that moment, in that entire sequence. Yeah. You are gone. It's like, you know, I often say... Uh, when I first met Ramdas, he set up a, a zone, shall we say? There was no Richard, there was no Ramdas. It was what? How do? How can I serve yeah. you? You know, and he was able to do that, and he did that uh, for his entire life, especially after he uh, after the stroke, and he was in Maui. But it's it's that that impulse creates a, a situation where you are no longer. This self-interested, <laughs> you know, moment-to-moment -moment being. Right. That selfish compassion. I, so That's I it. loved it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very catchy phrase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. And, and you know, it's true. So it's well, very you, Dalai Lama. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, you in the book, you talk about the vow of the bodhisattva and it can be a skillful, skillful strategy helping us to move away from our self-centeredness. Yeah. Similar kind of a thing. Exactly. Right? No, no, that's the deal. And, you know, the Mahayana tradition is, you know, in part uh, this brilliant construction of deconstruction of the small self. You know, whether you're cultivating bodhicitta at the beginning of practice, really stepping into, you know, a motivation that is fundamentally, uh, you know, boundless and caring, or dedicating the merit at the end of the practice or acknowledging the past and expressing loving appreciation for the ancestors as we do with Ramdas or taking care of the children in the future and so on. So, you know, and it's all about other. And uh, uh, ultimately, it's not about other as separate from self. It's about self and other being non-separate. And, right. you know, it's this non-dual realization yep. that yep. is so powerful yeah. for um, us to directly experience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you say that, I remember a moment we were in Maui. We were doing a podcast a long time. I think it was with Duncan. And uh, I asked you, look, you've been around Ramdas forever. So you keep seeing his guru, our guru, Neem Karoli Baba. What do you think about him? I've never asked. I said this to you. And you said, you stopped for a while and you said, when I look in his eyes, I see empty. That's what I see. And I said, yeah, in fact, you know, Ramdas, uh, in, in a thing that he did with you with, and Frank also many years ago, he talked about, like somebody asked him what he thought of, you know, as, to say something about his guru. And, and he just went off and he just kept going. He was so empty. So, you know, there was a real yeah. tie together that way. And then you, uh, and then you jived me after that moment and said, you know, eventually you'll have to give up this duality thing that oh i'm sorry oh Raghu. <laughs> and i you know what i said i said i i understand that intellectually and uh you know i'm sure it'll occur in some billion of but you're like way ahead okay roshi you're way ahead no not it. really i can tell you <laughs> i'm a naughty girl oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. i tell you i come off the rails every day my feet of clay are big <laughs> You know? Oh God! Yeah. It, well, that it gives us all an opportunity to go. Okay, as Jack Cornfield, I love to hear. He has this little phrase: "It's okay to be human." He says, "Yeah." You know? yeah. So, oh, so and, Raghu, since I'm human, and yes. I've actually been online since nine a.m. I know morning, you've done. I this. am going to to say, "Oh, I my did. Buddha, thank you, my darling." Well, do one thing, though. I do want people to know about what you have been doing here mm. with, with the chaplaincy. Can you just oh. briefly say what the chaplaincy is and, and how people can be in touch with it? Well, yeah, I think many of, many of you know uh, Upaya Zen Center is a socially engaged Buddhist center where we train clinicians and chaplains, among other things. We feed the unsheltered and work in the prison system and work in the Himalayas and delivering health care to people in these very remote areas. Mm. And the uh, the training program we're in right now, that's why I've been online all day with just this phenomenal group of people from all over the world, about 60 people in the training program. 
is a two-year, very intensive mm. uh, training program in Buddhist chaplaincy. And um, our director, Mary Remington, uh, is head of a big chaplaincy department of a big hospital in New York. And she is such a bodhisattva. Oh, my God. Right. She's in, she is, she, I mean, she's in the work up, up to her eyeballs. And the result has been, Raghu, that um, uh, the program now has gone on for about 15 years. And Upaya's trained chaplains are all over the world. I am mm. just mm. blown away by the placements and the work uh, that these men and women are doing. Mm. And the program itself, the training program itself, involves a very intensive uh, experience of spiritual formation. Because um, we recognize the this path of chaplaincy truly as a sacred path, and yet it's it's not sappy, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. People, no, not at all. I actually you know, know one of your people who's close to me is actually on on uh, part of Love Server member, and she. Oh yes, I have to. I'll be up at five this morning. I mean, <laughs> right. right, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's you know, terrific. it's a great training program. And mm. also the clinician training program, being with dying, mm. is really amazing. And the grace training program in compassion mm. is um is just an extraordinary uh process. So yep. I, I love what Upaya does in the thread of ongoing practice. Uh the contemplative thread is really uh essential to mm. what we do in, in addition to this, you know, the very rigorous science-based content that we transmit in, yeah. in training programs. Yeah, it's so great. So we'll, there'll be links so you can go to upaya, upaya.org, right? That's right. Yeah. And uh, we'll have all oh. of that. Oh, wait, you can't go. I got to read one thing because we gotta, okay. can't forget. Okay. Look, this comes from fire. The, the, the four elements comprise the deck, meeting the boundless heart, and this just this I did pick out, uh, although it completely is uh, uh, connected to everything we've been talking about. It's called on unselfishness. Recall that all beings and things are interconnected, including friend and enemy, forest and city, you and the air you breathe. On your next breath, consider the futility of self-centeredness. Feel this in your body. Next, bring someone to mind and heart whom you wish to be free of suffering. Let your wish for this person help strengthen your aspiration to serve others. As you experience fully how this feels in your body, breathe deeply into your belly, vowed to do whatever you can to end suffering for all beings. What a beautiful uh, I Can I read a couple of these things and... To, we're doing a we're doing a course with Alan Watts and Ramdas, by the way. Oh, great! <laughs> so I listen, wanna... they're out there. Just use them in every way. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. So this is, is great to see Roshi. This is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. We shall see you next week. And again, thank you so much. <laughs>